Hey y'all, this is Sarah Mel. Thanks for tuning in to Phases of the Womb Podcast. Alright y'all, so today we are talking to my wonderful friend and colleague, Abeth. Um, we previously worked together on two assignments, one in Berkeley, California, and one in Bellevue, Washington. Um, she has a unique experience as a mom of a now toddler, um, a travel nurse while she was pregnant, um, while she was breastfeeding, um, and she had a unique experience during her labor as well. So she's going to share some of that. I hope y'all enjoy. All right, so I'm going to have you introduce yourself. Just tell us who you are, where you're from, what you do, all those things. <laughs> are you ready? Yeah. Huh? Okay, cool. So my name is Beth, and um, I'm 29 now. I can't believe that because <laughs> I started my career as, like, a baby nurse. <laughs> like, I was, like, the youngest on the unit, and now I'm, like, wait. Mm. What is going on? But it anyway, happened real fast, too. <laughs> I know, so fast. Yeah, so I'm a labor and delivery nurse. I um, started labor and delivery right out of um, college. So, like, I didn't know. I really didn't know anything else. I did, like, a brief um, kind of, like, intensive course. Like, I had to have my RN license to do, like, the ICU, but that's because I was working as, like, a CNA tech mm-hmm. role in the cardiothoracic ICU, mm-hmm. and I just thought labor and delivery was going to be, like, way too hard to get into as a new grad. Yeah. So I was, like, kept that in my back pocket, like, okay, if I, you know, don't get into labor and delivery, then I can go to the CTIC. Right, right. And yeah, and I did that ICU course too to help me because the hospital I was applying to and the unit that I wanted to work in was high risk labor and delivery. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, maybe some like ICU background will help me (laughs) seem more appealing. (laughs) Girl. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Mm -mm. That seemed so long ago, but like (laughs) not really that long ago. Uh, yeah, so I started working high-risk labor and delivery in 2016, and then, um, now, then I went to, like, just normal risk, like, normal pregnancy, normal deliveries, and then I started travel nursing, Mm -hmm. and I've been travel nursing for, since 2019, before all the pandemic craziness mm-hmm, happened. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, life got real, so crazy. Crazy. real crazy. Real crazy. Real I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was good. And then the pandemic happened and that seemed kind of just like a, like it was crazy because we were still working. Yeah. A lot of people felt so isolated. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I didn't really feel that isolated during that time. It was just kind of nice. Like, because you're working so much and I think people don't realize like as a nurse you're tired and it's like I feel like I have like FOMO when other people are going out to do stuff yeah like I'm so tired from working my shifts (laughs) 
that you know it it just made me feel good like okay every everybody's inside <laughs> yeah everyone's inside i'm not missing out on anything i can pick up work mm-hmm. you know just work and yeah so that's kind of where i've been and then now i'm working per diem at the hospital that um I started working at like I would even say like I feel like I knew so much back then even like mm-hmm. just working in high risk mm-hmm. but then now even now I was like dang I was still just such a baby nurse right like, <laughs> yeah like knowing what you know, know now because I feel like I had the same experience because no yeah. like the place that I worked at out here was super high risk super low staff mm-hmm. and you were doing like some crazy stuff you saw some stuff but like you were a baby and like you didn't know I guess now you know how to maneuver around the system versus just doing you get what I'm saying yes yeah yeah or even some of like the crazy experiences that I saw it was like that's your first time doing and seeing something Mm -hmm. so crazy that you're like what did I just see (laughs) or what just happened I just know like this is not normal Mm -hmm. and then um then now you're like oh I've seen this or I've done this or Mm -hmm. yeah you you do know how to maneuver your way yeah yep and then you don't you don't get as Because I'm not really a super anxious person in most situations, but I do know, like, I used to be real anxious about D-cells. And I realized when we were were working in Washington, uh, because, you know, they had those, the newer nurses, and they'll be like, what do you think about this? What do you think? I'd be like, it's fine. Like, it's going to be fine. Like, just go turn her. She all right. Like, (laughs) I'm like, I don't know when I got there. I used to be that way too, and I was telling my friend like I feel like with every D cell I was in the room yes. turning my patient, mm-hmm. so it made for really long shifts because you were always in the room, mm-hmm. always trying to find baby mm-hmm. and readjust baby, and like yeah, I'm sure like you know like high risk. It's like you're working with smaller gestation, so yeah, it's harder to find sometimes, mm-hmm. or you know you have so many tricks, and I just used to be like. You know, like how is how is like my preceptor so like competent or like calm or whatever? And now I'm like that person, but it doesn't negate. Like I feel like you should still be super concerned oh, yeah. as a new nurse until you know that like that's okay, you right? Know you the, know the, the reasoning behind yeah. not doing anything like you know it's benign you know it's gonna come back on you know you know it's a reasoning behind it versus just I don't want to go in the room that is never okay right (laughs) yes I know it kills me like I've been working with like some newer nurses that it's just like I'm like wait like just go in your room your patient try something (laughs) like like I'm not I'm not super concerned but I also wouldn't be the one just like sitting there um especially just not you know but it's it's hard to because I know like a lot of places are short staffed right and Mm -hmm. it it doesn't always like accommodate for newer nurses to get the the training orientation I think Mm -hmm. that maybe I did yeah yeah I mean it sucks because I I think about two that I mean we're only what 
but it's, it's going to be three years out of the pandemic. So just think about mm-hmm. like those nurses and residents and whoever else had to learn things mm-hmm. virtually. And like, yeah. not only did they have to learn virtually, they didn't really get a good orientation. They like, dang, I'm just trying to figure this out. <laughs> yeah, I know. So. Yeah, I feel bad for the, ner- the nurses and residents. Yeah, who had to learn, like, who had to do even sim as much as I hated sim, but like, mm-hmm. sim lab, like, okay, they didn't even get that because they weren't right. on campus right. because of the pandemic. Yeah. Yep. All right. But anyway, so that's kind of where I'm at right now. I'm in Washington State. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm a mom now. <laughs> I think that's going to be. And you weren't a mom when I, I met you? <laughs> I know. Yeah, that's so crazy too. Yeah. Life I wasn't that. a mom. Uh huh. Girl. I know. I, I know. It's, I blink and I'm like, what? <laughs> All right. So I want to ask you, since you you brought up you're in Washington State, um, we know the South and the West Coast Mm -hmm. have pretty big differences in the way things, I would say, happen in labor. Like specifically for me, I'm going to say when I started my labor and delivery journey here in New Orleans, um, we had a lot of 39-week elective inductions, a lot of failure to progress at two centimeters with the water broken and ending up in primary sections. And that was just like, you know, working on night shift is different because I know I have a little more leeway, but you... I feel like it was always the anxiety that you feel like you race in the clock. Like if you don't get this person to seven, eight centimeters before, you know, a certain time, then you ended up in a section. It was just common practice. Like it was just patients almost expected yeah. it. Like, okay, I know I'm coming for my induction, but if, I, if it don't work, I could just have a C-section. And I think that's something that really used to irritate me I think that that kind of made me want to start traveling and seeing like is this like this everywhere because this can't be okay it didn't feel okay and I know when I came to the west coast um, I'm not saying every place in the west coast is you know the same or you know open like everywhere but I feel like the vast majority of experiences I hear are way more open to allowing like uh your body to do what it's gonna do or if you're gonna have an induction and you know it's your first time and you only two centimeters they're gonna give you two to three days to be induced because it's gonna take that long um but what what was what's your experience or what has been your experience um with inductions and sections and stuff like that on that side of town (laughs) I would I would say that it's unfortunate too because your patients hear about these stories mm-hmm. and they think that that's the norm. So then they come in and think that you know that's our mission is right. to get them delivered within a certain time mm-hmm. frame, and that's not always the case. I do feel like it comes down to resources over here in the West Coast, at least being in like terms of if you're in a more rural area 
where there's not a lot of doctors and they still have to take patients like Mm -hmm. during the day and go, you know, they're on a call for their patients at night. I do feel like there's a little bit of that in terms of like, they're just tired compared to if you are delivering in like a bigger facility where they don't, they have 20, they have, um, their following day off post call. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, um, and then in terms of my experience for, uh, working in Colorado, I worked at a facility that had, um, residents. Yeah. So I just felt like they were very patient and I don't know if that's just because of, like, it's a teaching facility mm-hmm. that they were very patient to go to a C-section. Like, our strip had to look really bad. Yeah. Like, the baby not tolerating labor to go for, to go for a section. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that being said, I also don't know if everything was done the right way to, like, get that patient into labor because you might have like a wrong cervical exam yeah yeah and with a resident and then they would kind of you as well for me as a new nurse I didn't really want to step on my resident's toes like going behind the Mm -hmm. resident and like checking the cervix but like the experienced nurses would do that Mm -hmm. you know but at that time, I didn't have that experience to be like, oh, let me check. And I for sure know you're not like three centimeters or right, whatever, right. you know, like it'd be that was kind of that was a learning curve for me. But yeah. at that point, I kind of felt like it was like I I took it on as the nurse so much, which now I feel like I don't I don't really do that anymore because I like had the experience and tools to know that I've done everything I could as that patient's nurse to give them a vaginal delivery. But like back then I would be like, I wouldn't feel bad. Like it, I would feel like it was my fault. Like if I was pushing with a patient for three hours yeah, yeah, and like we ended up in a C-section and then I'm like, well, in hindsight now I'm like, dang, I wasn't really trying a whole bunch of different positions mm-hmm. with my patient but that's because I just didn't know right you know whereas now I do know kind of those tips and, and, tricks, and even I, you bring up a good point because not to cut you off but you bring up a good mm-hmm. point because at um I try not to say the hospital names but like when we, when we were in Washington I thought it was amazing that their nurses were educated on spinning babies and bundle birth nursing positions, even within their epic system yeah. under position changes. They had so yeah. many different position changes. And I, I feel like that, that was like, I was just like, wow. <laughs> because and they had resources yes, for the unit. Yes. Like, and you would go to your charge nurse and your charge nurse could flip to a page and be like, well, did you try this? Yes. Or, let's get your position in this, you know, or let's get your patient in this position. Yeah. So that was, I would say that was different when I started traveling. Yes. To, to Seattle where it's more, I think, known about that stuff right. and then like Cali- California as mm-hmm, well. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot in California too. For so. sure. For um, sure. But yeah, I think going back to like the rush of 
you know, trying to get the patient delivered by the 7 a.m. or by whenever, it's like a lot of pressure as you as the nurse. And you don't, I feel like as a newer nurse or even maybe experienced nurses too that have maybe even lost their passion, I mm-hmm. feel like, for labor and delivery. Like they're just there to, you know, just just to do the job yep. and be a body. Like they're not really there to make the difference is like it's lost in um I think doing okay what can we do to get this patient progressing right and and you can't just let a patient like lay in bed yeah yeah and yeah yeah or even just turning side to side like it's because that's what I used to do me too because I didn't know I didn't know any different (laughs) yeah and now I feel so bad because really there's a lot that could have been done to just try. I don't know, but that's all hindsight now. Mm -hmm. I do know, though, that patients um, get really nervous about if their water breaks early Mm -hmm. and the time clock for that, you know, like, well, my water's been broken for so many hours. Like, does this mean I'm going to go for a C-section? And it it doesn't necessarily mean that. Like, there has to be a lot of other steps um to you know or concerns of mm-hmm. like your baby or you yourself right. or you know signs yeah. that would have to go to a c-section but I just feel bad because I don't there's not time there's not enough time to educate people and you don't really know what's gonna happen because mm-hmm. each person is different in mm-hmm. labor but like in the prenatal setting there's not really enough time to explain this and like I've said like it's taken me seven years of experience to like you know get there get comfortable yeah (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. to understand it it's true and I think too like with the water breaking thing specifically it'll like I'm gonna tell you my like the best of the best and the worst so like I remember being in California the first time because I went in 2018 first and then I came back in 2020 but um no 2019 I think it was 2019 I don't remember either way I remember when I went and um I had a patient call the unit and say hey my water broke I'm not really contracting should I come in and what I'm used to Oh yeah, your water broke immediately. Come in. Like <laughs> come in. And I yeah. remember calling, I don't remember if it was a midwife or a doctor on call. I don't remember who was on call. But I called to kind of ask them like what was what did they usually do? And they was like, you know, tell her give it 12 hours. Go do some nipple stimulation. Go walk around. Go do this. Go do that. Give it 12 hours. If nothing happens, then come in. And I was like, oh word. <laughs> Like, that's what we're doing? Okay, cool. And, like, people yeah. typically come back in either full-blown contracting or they just need a little help when they come in. Um, yeah. And I thought that was amazing because I didn't I didn't even know that was, like, an option because people make it seem so much so, like, okay, your water breaks, you're going to get choreo, so we need to speed yeah. it up or you're going to deliver. And I'm like, I've seen, yeah. like, you see, like, preterm um ruptures that be ruptured for weeks that don't get choreo and then you see somebody rupture for two hours and get choreo so i'm like yeah you can't do that you can't pe- put people on a clock and you giving like false mm-hmm. information 
But then like mm-hmm. the worst of the worst, which is why I don't like working day shifts. I swear it scarred me. I was working in Texas <laughs> and every morning before clinic, the one particular doctor, oh child, would come in every morning, every morning, and she'll have all her inductions come in um, at like six in the morning. And um, they'll all be either one thick and high, like not laboring, not favorable, nothing like not favorable for an induction at all and come through and break everybody water. And if they were not delivered by 5 p.m., you might as well line them up for a section because she's going to take them back to back and her sections take 25 minutes. Like, and, and see, I haven't worked at a place that's like that. Ooh, that would have me so, like, I don't know. That would just, I, as, a, as, that, as those patients nurse too, like, mm-hmm. I, that would give me um, just, like, no faith. Yeah. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. okay, well, why do anything exactly she's gonna cut my patient anyway like yeah like i might as well just start preparing them for a section because Mm -hmm. it's more traumatizing it is just being like told like okay you haven't made any change like let's go for a section i think being this un it's you know. unnecessary. And I feel like I had got to the point there because I was just so frustrated. Because, I mean, I feel like most people who, who have worked with me know I do not like going back and doing a section. I will put my patient on their head to do everything I got to do to make sure we're yeah. not having a section. Not that I can't do it because, honestly, it's probably easier for me as the nurse. It's less I have to do. It's very standardized, you know. But it's yeah. just, to me, I'm just like, that's that's not why you came in here. And I don't feel like I'm giving you your best chance. And I would legit yeah. feel like I'm just, you know, busting my behind for like eight to yeah. nine hours in the shift doing everything I can, sweating, flipping, doing all of these things just to make sure you don't get a section. I'm just like, that's just not, that's not fair. It's just, I just don't yeah, feel like it's, it's fair. defeating to you as the nurse. Yeah. That patient. I, I think yeah. I was doing a section. I probably, I, I did, I did two, I think I, uh, um, I extended there once, but once I extended, I told them I'll only extend if they let me go on night shift. So then 13 weeks I was on day shifts. I had, if I worked three shifts out the week, I did a section at least two of them shifts. Like, I was the section nurse. I always, like, always was in a section. I'm like, this is not why I do this. Like, I don't like yeah. it. it. It's it's ridiculous. But I feel like, I mean, I haven't, I mean, I've worked in Texas, and I feel like it's very much so the same. Um, the only reprieve I get is when I go to, like, the West Coast and work somewhere there. And I'm like, okay, maybe. I'll have vaginal deliveries on this assignment. <laughs> and it's so, I mean, no matter how you bring the baby into the world, but it is, it feels so rewarding right. when you work so hard. Or at least giving people delivery. the chance when it's, yeah, like, when chance. it's, I think yeah. it's more so yeah. when it's unnecessary. You know, I think right. that's what gets me the most when it's unnecessary because I'm, I'm the first person that I, I'll tell my patient, like, I am not super anxious about many things if i come in and say i think you might need a section you probably really need a section like 
I think there are some cases where it's completely necessary. I think I have seen more cases than not that are completely unnecessary and it's just not fair. Yeah. Because you kind of set them up. Yeah. You know, for right. future. Which I think gives, that's why there's this stigma of like, you know, having C-sections. Mm-hmm. It's just because people are like traumatized yeah. from it. Yeah. And that's like also the stigma why people are like scared to have a birth in the hospital. Yeah. Um, being induced, you know, all the things like mm-hmm. that you hear going around that make it hard to like say like, no, there's, there is good of having, you know, your birth right. in the hospital. Right. It's just, it comes down to really being able to advocate for yourself yep. and having, advocating for yourself, but also being open to hearing options and collaborating with yeah. the team yeah yeah and yeah like your nurse and your provider mm-hmm. um and then yeah just like I don't know because of <laughs> course we know that there are those times it's like well yeah we need a second yeah you uh-huh. and patients are really resistant to that but it's like really needed Mm-hmm. Um, but you just have to be open, you know, I think the birth experience, like your mind just has to be open, just open to pivot and like discussion with your care team. Agreed. Cause anything can happen and anything will happen yeah. and you're going to yeah. have to roll with the punches and figure it out. <laughs> yeah. But I've, I mean, for the most part, at least on the West coast, uh-huh. I feel that mostly providers are not like doing stuff maliciously you know right, yeah mm-hmm. at least that's where yeah yeah i can agree or on their own agenda mm-hmm. on their own agenda yeah but i think like you said earlier y'all also have the resources i feel like most of the places yeah. i've been on the west coast have had in-house physicians whereas mm-hmm. a lot of the places i've worked down south they all are private practice. They all are in clinic and have to leave clinic and come do deliveries mm-hmm. or be at the hospital yeah. all night doing deliveries and still got to go to clinic in the exactly. morning. So, I mean, I while I don't necessarily agree with the, all right, it's five o'clock if she ain't delivered, she got to get a section because I got to go do this and I got to get up in the morning. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you've, you got to remember too, people have a life and it's like, well, you got to and- fix the system. Yeah, and if the patient's been having, like, D-cells and, Mm -hmm. you know, all night or whatever, but say the baby's still recovering or looks great in Mm -hmm. between, I mean, we don't have to get into all this, but some providers are like, I can't be at the bedside every time there's, like, a prolonged D-cell and we're needing to do you know, X, Y, and Z, Mm -hmm. and, like, it just might be better to do it. But it's because they they also have to do, you know, clinic the next day, which is so hard. And they have lives, you know, that's the other Mm -hmm. thing. They have Mm -hmm. lives. And I I think, too, when I went back to school, I felt like while I want to be a provider, like even when I did my interviews, like because I've interviewed for a few midwife jobs, um, midwife jobs or whatever in the past. And they would ask me like, what's important to me in a job? And I was like, work-life balance, because my job will not be my life. Like I am not going to be on call 24 seven. That's how people get burned out. And that's how people get jaded in a profession. And I don't ever want to be like that. 
I never want to yeah, be like that. And they don't do what's best for the patient right. in that scenario because they're just so, like, you know. Yeah. I like, think it's just like sometimes they're just so over it. Mm hmm. Which I get. I mean, I get it. I get both sides. But yeah. at the end of the day, yeah, it's about it's about the patient. It's, it's honestly not yeah. about you. And you're going to have to find some backup because that ain't going to cut it. <laughs> right, right. All it's right. good that you said that. I, I wouldn't have thought about that yeah. in a job interview. Yeah. Like, I mean, and it's because they asked me. Yeah. And I think, too, yeah. it's because I had, like, I'm so thankful for the preceptor that I had um, in my midwifery program because we were very similar. Like, I love to travel. Sis has four kids and be going to Germany, like, every year. Like, it's like a thing, and she oh, wow. loves to travel, and most of her group does not take time off the travel. And she was like, Sarah, like... I know you love to travel and I don't want you to think you have to give that up for a job. You have vacation time and you can use it. Like, don't ever get on a job and let them make your job your life. Because it's it's not. It's not your life. Like, you still got to live your life. You got to, if you gonna have a family outside of work, you got to sometimes go for your family. You got to be with your family. Yeah. You can't always be at the hospital. So, but yeah. Um, so let's switch gears and talk about your experience with, um, pregnancy and, um, labor and how your experience went. Yeah. So I guess myself being pregnant, I like knowing what I know, Mm -hmm. it just like was not good for me. Like, I just feel like I was you know, overanalyzing everything or not necessarily overanalyzing. I wasn't actually overanalyzing stuff. It was always the what if. Right, right. I was always thinking about the what if of, like, my pregnancy. And it, I don't know, I think it just started because I've seen so much, like, Mm -hmm. scary stuff. But, um, like, it was even started with the... Um, with the like genetic testing. Oh yeah, I knew Jerron and I like wanted to do the initial genetic testing, and um, I don't know. It's kind of even like, well, if something doesn't come back, like reassuring, like I feel like, which is so controversial, but mm-hmm. I think I made that decision in nursing school when yeah. we watched like a series of videos of people who had children with that they would have said like if they would have known in the genetic testing like they don't know if they would follow through with um, that pregnancy Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so I think from then like I was kind of really guarded about my pregnancy and then once I got the genetic testing back I was like okay I can take a breath like Mm -hmm. I think I'm a little like I think I'm excited and then um But it was always just, like, I don't know. I felt like I knew my risk factors being Mm -hmm. African-American, you know, the whole BMI thing, which Mm -hmm. I think is super – that was really rough in my pregnancy. Like, Mm -hmm. knowing that, you know, that criteria puts you in 
a high risk, a higher risk right. category right. Right. and stuff. But mm-hmm. anyway, um, I just felt like I get it that doctors have or and midwives that's like there is the guidelines, but I don't know. I feel like you also have to look at the person and yeah. how they live their life. Mm-hmm. Like I'm I don't intentionally like not work out or I don't know it just I feel like it kind of set me in a depression of like well people aren't really believing that I'm gonna eat healthy or that I do eat healthy or Mm -hmm. that I do exercise so it's like why do it yeah yeah and then I I don't know I was just in the cycle of like depression and like bad thoughts and I don't know in my pregnancy Mm -hmm. but um yeah and that's not okay i I feel like that being like i i get it but at the same time like what i tell people when i talk about like the whole bmi thing because i mean you're supposed to say it but i'm like the bmi chart is a standardized chart that is probably not based off anybody who is built like live like you and me so Mm -hmm. take it with a grain of salt eat healthy do what you can you know what I'm saying? Because yeah. you got to be realistic. Yeah. Everybody life ain't set up to do whatever. Because honestly, I I know I work out like five times a week and I do all of this other stuff. I'm still classified as overweight. And I'm like, who came up with this? Because if I actually weighed what it say I should weigh, I would look sickly. So I don't, I personally don't even agree with it. But sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Continue. <laughs> no, I know. It's just like, that's what was frustrating during my pregnancy. I just felt like I couldn't enjoy it maybe I was like embarrassed I just feel like it's like oh I didn't look necessarily look the way that you know I feel like pregnant people look or Mm -hmm. like what if I didn't look pregnant Mm -hmm. or you know just all the things and then on top of that knowing you know what could happen in my pregnancy just based off of my experience so anyway it was just like a whole issue like I was nervous about gestational diabetes and Mm -hmm. everyone seemed to be so nervous about me getting gestational diabetes during Mm -hmm. my pregnancy like I just wish it was more like hey this could happen and like this is what we're we would do about it right and And not just I don't know yeah make it such a big deal but so then anyway that I would say being pregnant wasn't super great but um I did end up developing gestational hypertension at Mm -hmm. 39 weeks Mm so that put me you know at they wanted to induce me Mm -hmm. for that um which I was so like torn up about like I was like I didn't want an induction right, you know yeah. you want all the right things yeah. that your body is supposed to do but I think um, it happened the way it was supposed to because like I remember that Saturday which I don't know if I told you this but the Saturday or Sunday before my op- um, my midwife appointment I mm-hmm. think my midwife appointment was on a Tuesday mm-hmm and I had gone to see Chastity, and anytime I traveled, I would really swell up bad. Yeah, yeah. And I just knew, like, it was different. Like, normally I would swell up, but it would go down, and this time it, like, wasn't going down, and I I had had a little bit of a 
like just mild range blood pressure before but that's the other thing it's like yeah my blood pressures were like it was still normal like why do we need to make it a big deal yeah like that previous yeah. week you know like mm-hmm. I just kept being like yeah but it's normal you know but maybe I don't know maybe my midwife has seen it more than I have mm-hmm. the progression of gestational hypertension and preeclampsia before you know i think people are also very more like what word do i want to use maybe aware because you know like the recent studies about black women and preeclampsia and all these Mm -hmm. complications all this stuff and i feel like people are being a lot more vigilant about it and i'm also gonna say i feel like i see i have seen so much more preeclampsia since covid too though like i feel like Mm -hmm. it's been like a Mm -hmm. thing i feel like it's been a parent but yeah. yeah 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 so I do feel like my midwife too on that note was very um like you said aware and like vigilant of the disparate health disparities that black women face in mm-hmm. childbirth mm-hmm. and she like really didn't want that to be to ha- she did not want anything bad to happen to me right so yeah. But then again, on hindsight, I was just like, I just feel like I'm under such a microscope, right. you know? Yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, I got gestational hypertension. So then that was like a long day. And I had even had a headache like the night before mm-hmm. or a couple days that I was having to take Tylenol for. And I had swelling on like my abdomen. Mm-hmm. So like... I just kind of had a feeling like this isn't going to be good. Yeah. So I went into my appointment on that Tuesday at 39 weeks and it was like really high. My blood pressures were really mm-hmm. high. So yeah, they admitted me to labor. Wait, so you, you at, flew to Georgia at 38 weeks? No. Oh. Cassidy was doing a travel assignment oh, okay. in uh, Seattle. <laughs> I was about yeah. to say, wait a minute. <laughs> No, I had driven to Seattle, which is like two and a half hours. Okay, 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 okay. And then another two and a half hours back, so I probably spent like five hours in the car. I mean, the swelling like wasn't going down (laughs) this time. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. And then um, when I was there at the hospital, and my blood pressures were anytime I would like tuck because I was like reunited with some coworkers that I hadn't worked with <laughs> or seen since like 2019 yeah. and I would just get really excited and my blood pressures would go up oh, so no. <laughs> my midwife was like okay well I'm gonna let the obstetrician who's on call know you're here and kind of your situation and have him come lay eyes on you and I didn't realize this but um because I always thought, like, preeclampsia and MAG was started, I guess, if, like, you had elevated labs or, like, protein in your urine. Um, like, I didn't realize that my blood pressures would be enough to, like, start me down that road I feel like it depends on the hospital I feel like I've worked at different hospitals where I'm like okay this is happening are we starting mag and they're like well no we got to do this first or like they have somebody that hit the door with high blood one high blood pressure and they start them on mag it's like it just I think it really depends on the policy and that's the issue that needs to be standardized too but yeah it definitely yeah. yeah so I 
I don't know. Um, I guess I'm still unclear of like what the evidence actually is and what people should, what the doctors should be doing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he was like, well, basically, and this too, I didn't realize that being treated for high blood pressures, like in terms of even if I wasn't on mag, like let's try some more beta wall, right, know, like, right, or whatever, nifedipine, what you know, what you would do for someone with gestational hypertension, right? I guess in the hospital setting, I didn't realize that that would risk me out of midwifery care. Yeah. So that kind of gave me a lot of anxiety too. I was like, wait, like you know, I've been doing this and I've never had that happened right. or I just maybe haven't paid attention or it hasn't been I don't know that I, that like I don't know maybe I just missed it I have no idea but um I wasn't like like if you guys give me a dose of libidolol like I didn't realize that that would risk me out of midwifery right, care, which right. mm-hmm. I just didn't want because I do feel like obstetricians are a little bit less patient Mm-hmm. I mean, they can be they you can get some really patient but i don't know i just felt like they're not as i don't know i wanted the midwife experience right right and i really trusted my midwife mm-hmm. and i think it's to say like any patient that yeah does go to their midwives and has to go to the obstetrician for like a c-section or for anything else it's it's kind of heartbreaking to the patient because yeah. they're like well i built all this trust with my midwife and this team for the last you know nine months you know mm-hmm. or, yeah, yeah. Three weeks and you yeah, just so you expect like, oh. to see them like you expect them to be yeah. there you've been waiting for that so. yeah yeah and it's hard to like even when they do hand off care like it's not very common that you see your midwife come back yeah very much anymore. yeah yeah, yeah. like not even to check on you really mm-hmm. it's not you know they're kind of like okay we're done you know they yeah. have to move on so yeah anyway like it's not like still collaborative care. right it's like and, really you're the, yeah. now you're the doctor's patient so mm. anyway that's sucky um yeah but um anyway so i kind of would just here's a tip out there if you have high blood pressure (laughs) i would just like count down from 10 and i like wouldn't talk and i would just breathe slowly and my blood pressures would like come back down to normal Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. i was never had to be um treated with labial or put on magnesium Mm -hmm. or um my high blood pressures which was good that's good yeah, because um, yeah. Yeah. they have a lot of people that come in the clinic. I think now that I'm in a clinic right now and I see like people legit walk up and immediately sit in the chair and run a blood pressure and they be like, oh, it's elevated. I'm like, she's nine months pregnant. You have her walking all the way over here. She had to walk across the parking lot and come up here to come to the yes. clinic and you immediately take her blood pressure. My blood pressure would be high. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't yeah. Know. But yeah. And even being on in the right position, like mm-hmm. not crossing your feet yep. and like sitting, you know, sitting mm-hmm. down, arm heart level, right. yeah, like all those things. Oh, yeah. let me put a PSA yeah. in here real quick. If your provider, if you have, I'm just putting this out here because this really, I've seen it in the past two assignments I've had and it really irritates my soul. 
If you know that you have elevated blood pressures, high blood pressure, whatever the case may be, and your provider tell you when you go to the hospital or you go to the doctor's office, they have to take your blood pressure laying down while you're on your left side. That is incorrect. You do not live your life laying down on your left side. Whatever your blood pressure is when you sitting here. That's what it is. That left side stuff, it's going to make it lower. But that's not what it's going to be when you sit up. Like when I tell you that irritates my soul, don't have these people coming in here trying to get false readings just so I don't have to send them to the hospital. Like it's not okay. They're going to go home. Their uh, their pressure going to be elevated. They're going to have a stroke. Like, no. Like that's not okay. So that's my PSA for the day. Don't do that. (laughs) There's that, and also, I will say, too, if you have a history of high blood pressure or, like, white coat strain or anything, like, now I have it. Mm -hmm. Like, if you've had a baby before and, like, you've had high blood pressure and just, like, the trauma and, like, feeling of the blood pressure cuff going on, going, like, blowing up or putting the blood pressure cuff on, it, like, freaks you out. Yeah. Like, it's almost like if they do have one of those like automatic machines, mm-hmm. it's almost better just to be like, hey, I have like a history of because I don't know, it just gives you back that feeling of like, great, this is something more than I thought it was going right, to be. Right, right. And right. like if you could do like an automatic cycle without them in the room, mm-hmm. like five minutes after you've sat down, mm-hmm. like, uh it would be so much better. And also manual blood pressures for me, I feel like are better too. Cause I feel like once I feel the blood pressure cuff retighten, mm-hmm. I'm like, great. It's, it's going gonna up. Yep. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't know, but that's, I don't know. That's an after the fact, but if you have had the experience like of preeclampsia in your pregnancy or gestational hypertension in your pregnancy, like, just do some breathing mm-hmm. and deep breaths mm-hmm. and like tell them to give you time before yeah. they take your blood pressure. Yep. Yeah. I always tell people like, let me know. Like now that I'm at the clinic, I have people, I see they chart and I'm like, oh, they have a history of elevated pressures or white coat syndrome. Oh, I'm going to come, I'm going to bring you in there and we going to chit chat first. We going to talk. We going to be chilling. Like you can yep. sit there yep. and then I'll take yep. your pressure because I'm not yep. taking this because you don't know me for me to just sit there and just start taking your pressure and just go to the computer. Like my nerves will be bad too. No, we can chit chat a little yep. bit and then we'll and take it. Be- yeah. And because like weight was such a big deal to me, like I was going into my prenatal clinics like freaking out about what my weight was right or what they were gonna say about my weight like it's probably not a good time to take my blood pressure after you wait exactly that's true like because that just because it was I felt like it was um I always got my blood pressure taken after my weight and I was so disappointed about my weight Mm -hmm. and like what are you know gonna say but however I will say that probably a lot of the weight that I gained towards the end was fluid because mm-hmm. I was getting hypertension you know, yeah. or whatever mm-hmm. yeah. so that I mean that's a I mean not a good thing but at least you can kind of see like the correlation yeah. yeah 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 but it's just hard 
anyway, so <laughs> that was kind of like my hospital, like, induction part with, I was like, I think they were trying to figure out what they were going to do with me because my blood pressures were so high, mm-hmm. and then it would freak, it was freaking me out that maybe I would have to be transferred to the OB spot. Yeah. That was fine. I kind of knew what I wanted going into my induction mm-hmm. because I've worked in the field for so long. But yeah. basically, I wanted like Cervidil and I wanted to sleep and I wanted my cervix to get really ripe overnight mm-hmm. and then like kind of go from there. But that didn't really happen for me. So we did Cervidil and. Um, which, in hindsight, now, I think I love it. I love a cervical induction as a nurse. Yeah. And I also like it as a patient. <laughs> okay. But it's, in hindsight, it's really expensive. It's so, expensive. And it's, you you yeah. paying for the medicine and you paying for, like, 12 hours of you sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> because you, yeah. you're just sitting there for 12 hours. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Right, but I think that's why some providers don't do Cervidil. That's why mm-hmm. some hospitals don't have Cervidil. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so as a patient, I don't really think you need to, you don't need, you don't need Cervidil. Yeah. I feel like I was also the one patient that, like, it did nothing. For. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Um, compared to like all the other patients that I've had that have had Cervidil. Yeah, I've had people deliver on Cervidil. Yeah, yeah. I was like the anomaly and I feel like it didn't do anything. It got me to like a fingertip Mm -hmm. and um, my midwife was felt confident to place a balloon. Okay. um, To dilate. How was the balloon Um, experience for you? Also, yeah, for me, it was it, everything was so uncomfortable, like mm-hmm. the cervical exams and the balloon placement. Like, mm-hmm. I never thought, um, like I would be the patient, like climbing up the bed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like it took everything in me. So it, it really humbled me being the patient, um, from like being the nurse in the situation. But yeah, because it really took everything in me, like not to like climb up the bed like holy heck this totally hurts (laughs) like it's so uncomfortable but I was super uncomfortable with the IUD placement Mm -hmm. so that's kind of what I kept referring it back to of like it just feels like that like so terrible and I think some people handle the IUD placement really well Mm -hmm. and then some people also handle cervical exams really well and some people handle the balloon really well like they'll be walking around yeah happened and I was like so uncomfortable I needed fentanyl Mm -hmm. I needed a fan on me like I just wanted to lay on my side in bed and not move Mm -hmm. and so I didn't move for like five hours okay um I like I didn't even get up to go to the bathroom because I was like I don't want to sit on the balloon nothing and um also a concern that happened is my water had broken on insertion of the balloon um so that can kind of like pose a risk I know we talked about like starting the clock but you just really don't want to get choreo when your water has broken so early on in Mm -hmm. the process so infection was like a huge thing and um other places that I've worked if your water breaks 
like when you have the balloon in, they you automatically deflate the balloon yeah. and move to the next yeah. um, induction method. But I guess the policy at this hospital was that on insertion of the balloon, it's okay mm. if the water breaks. Okay. I guess. I, don't I guess. Know. I don't yeah. Know. I only had that happen but, one time, yeah. and that was in California, and um, they just took it out. No, I'm lying. They kept yeah. it in because they said, what did they say? Like, we looked at the package, and it said something like, it wasn't sufficient evidence to say you can or can't use it. So they don't recommend it. But it's not that they also don't. It's also like they don't recommend that you not keep it in. But they like also don't recommend it that you keep it in. So we just I think they just right. decided to keep it in just based off of that. But that's not the only like, time that's ever happened. on the safe side. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I had never, I feel like I, I couldn't recall a time that it happened on insertion, mm-hmm. but I remember in Colorado, my preceptor getting so upset because the residents wanted to keep the balloon in, at, what, what, even though my patient's water had broken. Gotcha. Like, this was, um, yeah. like, had been in, her water broke. And the resident was like, no, we still need to keep, like, we're going to keep it in until it comes out. And, mm. like, my preceptor was like, no, this increases <laughs> her risk for infection. Like, here's the policy, mm-hmm. you know, very much, like, advocating for a patient, right. which I think was a good example. Yeah. 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 But um, for me, I think, too, at the time... I don't even know if I second-guessed it at that time. Like, even knowing what I knew about mm-hmm. the infection, mm-hmm. I don't even think I second-guessed it at that point. Because I didn't ask, I didn't even ask my nurse about it till it had come out and my night shift nurse was on. Mm-hmm. And I was like, my balloon was in all day and my water was broken. And they <laughs> said, oh, that, that it's based on the, if it happens when it's, Inserted, right. or when it's already in right. type of thing. So I was like, oh. Anyway, I was just, I think, in so much pain. That, that I was you, like, it wasn't even, that you didn't even care. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't even care. <laughs> uh, but, so then the balloon was in, I didn't move for five hours. Um, yeah, I, and then every time my nurse would try to apply tension, I was like, no, I'm before we apply tension (laughs) and I okay so then I had her give me fentanyl one time and I was like okay let's pull it really tight and really I didn't feel hardly anything oh wow yeah I pulled it I pulled the balloon like really tight and Uh I was like okay now you tape it down Um, my birth experience was very like um collaborative like I feel like I was telling them how to put my blood pressure cuff on like you know what what positions to change me in all this but that didn't really even start happening till I was like further along Mm -hmm. but yeah because I was like oh I'm the type of nurse to be like oh like be up walking try the rocking chair (laughs) even with the balloon in and then I would once it was my turn I was like oh no we are not walking (laughs) I am not doing none of that it gave you a different appreciation huh yes yeah like if you want to lay in bed and take the fentanyl like lay in bed and take the fentanyl you know Uh, especially early on like early on yeah yeah. 
I think it's fine. Yeah, so, yeah. So then once the, so then she applied tension one more time, and it, like, came out. And I was like, see, that's what it should feel like when it's on its way out. Like, <laughs> oh, it didn't feel like it was hurting or anything. So mm-hmm. it came out, and then I was, like, a different person. Granted, all my contractions stopped. Like, oh. no more contractions. Um, Just... I felt great, though. I took a shower. I <laughs> ate dinner. Like, I was living my best life. And then um, they decided to do... Also with the balloon, they did um, Cytotec, too. Okay. You know Cytotec, like, 25 cents or something like that? Yeah, it's super cheap, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think Cervidil yeah. is, like, $1,200 or some foolishness. Yeah, it was $1,200. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it made like that much of a difference for what I had to pay like out of pocket. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know. I guess if anyone is in that predicament where you might have to pay more or whatever. And you just, choose yeah. to do cheaper. Yeah. 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 For, sure. <laughs> yeah. for sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, ideally what I had wanted to do if I would have needed an induction and not had to been in the hospital for like, you know, a while Mm -hmm. is like, if I was going to do like a 40 week induction, Mm because my midwife really didn't want me to go past 40 weeks. At that time we had talked about the plan would have been to place the balloon in the office and then me go home. You see, they did that in California too. That was Mm -hmm. my first time hearing about that. Yeah. We had done it in Colorado and then um, when I asked my midwife about it, she's like, oh, actually, we just got approved for the policy to start doing that. Okay. And I think they started doing that because of COVID. Yeah. Of, um, that's kind of what, um, like, propelled that mm-hmm. change to be made. Mm-hmm. So I had wanted to just have the balloon place and then go home, labor at home, come back when it fell out or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or after, or when it's supposed to come out, twelve hours. Right. Um, but my husband was like, "I can't believe you had wanted to do this at home." And I was like, "Oh no! If we if we did this at home, remember in California when there was like an emer- like if you were having a prolonged detail, you would cut the balloon and drain it. Yeah. Did you ever do that? Yeah. Uh huh. Instead of doing it with a syringe, I was right. like, "No! If we were doing this at home, I would have cut it, drained it, and." Whoop. <laughs> We would have been back at the hospital like, uh, I need to try something else. Because this is not cutting it. Yeah. And I was like, or I wouldn't have even made it to the car. Like, I couldn't sit up. Like, I couldn't sit. Like, there's no way I could have been in the car. Or I would have had to be, like, laying in the back seat in the car. And he's all, I would have been, I would have been that, um, this might be TMI, but after I had a place, like, I had this huge sensation that I had to go to the bathroom yeah which I did have to go mm-hmm. I think it's just like everything that's happening down there yeah like just, and it's right like, there I, like I had to go yeah and so he, so I went to the bathroom and I know my nurse was coming in so I told him you know if my nurse comes in can you tell her I'm like going to the bathroom mm-hmm. and he's like yeah but are you really going because <laughs> You know, I've, you know, me as a labor nurse, he's like, I've heard you say when people have to go to the bathroom, like the baby's coming. And I was like, no, I really do have to go. This is, you know, this is real. Good for him for being a good labor husband. 
was like, well, you know, if I can't believe you wanted to do this at home. Like, if if we were doing this at home, I would have called um, 911, like, my oh. wife is having a baby. And I was like, I, I would have been so embarrassed. Like, having an ambulance there to come pick me up. And I don't even, I'm not even dilated. Right, I'm one right. centimeter. He's oh like, I God. was just, like, you were in so much pain. And you were so uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. he said you had to go to the bathroom. He's like, I... I know you. You would have tried to have the baby at home. So I'm not going to have that. I, and, you know, I was just like, oh, my gosh. They, in in a twisted world, thank goodness, I got gestational hypertension. So I wouldn't have to go through that. <laughs> oh, my God. That's crazy. I mean, and I've, I mean, people say it's bad. I've had people that say, like, it's cake. Like, it's not, it's not that bad. You have the people that get it in the office and walk around and go do stuff throughout the day and then come in at 12 hours. But then you have them people as like, yeah, take it out right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, I remember too in Colorado, which maybe it's because your cervix just isn't as ripe. Right. Know, That's what I was thinking it's too. like, Maybe because there, I know we had some early and back, like obviously they were early or high risk or something Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. and they did not tolerate it very well either. And they would even give epidurals. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that too. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm, Yep. So I don't know. I just thought, I thought I was stronger than than I was. Stop. Don't even use that terminology. Or like I, I just thought my pain tolerance was like higher. Like yeah. I don't know. I like I like to like have like really intense massages that mm-hmm. I think people would say are painful. Like mm-hmm. I just thought I had a higher pain tolerance than I did. I don't think we can prepare for that type yeah. of you know, it's not something oh, like no. you know if you run into something and hit your knee, like okay, that's gonna yeah. hurt. But, like, I, I, I kind of know what it's that pain is like. I'm going to be all right. Yeah. You have no clue yeah. what that's going to be like. <laughs> no, you have no clue what it's going to be like. And you have no no idea how long it's going to last yeah. or yeah. anything. So that mm-hmm. was my whole thing. And it's like, I, with that, with especially with when they were pulling tension, like, I would just get this terrible cramp. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I just don't know when it's going to let up. And yeah. that's what was, like, messing with my mind, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, got through that, had a delightful dinner. <laughs> and then I was started on Pitocin. And really, I wasn't feeling, like, I wasn't even feeling really that uncomfortable with the Pitocin. Mm-hmm. Um. But then I must have had a four bag or something because my second bag of water broke. And then that's kind of where I got the pain that I think most people feel like when they go into labor after their water breaks. breaks Mm -hmm. Yeah, then I was starting to feel the contractions. And I remember just telling my nurse, because like the balloon had come out. You know, you can kind of assume that you're about three centimeters, three to four centimeters. Mm -hmm. And I had wanted to make it like a little bit further before getting the epidural, Mm -hmm. but um, the balloon had come out and, and then my water broke. And there I was like, I just don't want it to get as bad as how it felt with the balloon. (laughs) 
and she's like, well, you know, it's only going to get worse. Right. So, you know, you might as well get the epidural. And I was like, I was so grateful that she told me that because, mm-hmm. yeah, there is where I, yeah, I definitely wanted the epidural. Mm-hmm. And Jerome's parents had flown in, or Jerome's dad um, had flown in that day. Everyone thought, like, the baby on his side of the family or I don't know, maybe everyone, I don't know. I thought the baby, him, he thought the baby was going to come, like, that Cervidil night. Yeah. And when it didn't, I think people just thought it was going to happen so much quicker, which I think is what people are on the world think or yeah. all around the country think. Yeah. And it's a slow process when you're trying to go from, like, zero to 100. Yep. It takes time. Yeah. Especially when you haven't had a baby before. Yep. And... Yeah. So anyway, his dad had flown in, I think, thinking that the baby would be born. But <laughs> I think everyone thought the baby was coming that first night. And um, and so he was out late with his parents. He, I think, returned back to the hospital at like 11 p.m. that night. Mm-hmm. And um, by then I was contracting and I was starting to get more uncomfortable. And then he he had um, tried to hook up, like, the fire stick. And I also thought I was never going to have the partner that comes with, like, the box and all that. But, nope. That was my husband. Which, <laughs> it doesn't make me, like, now I'm like, whatever. It's a right. long process. Right. Now I get it. But at the time, I was, like, mortified. Like, you are embarrassing me <laughs> in my field. Like, we make fun. Not that we make fun. We but, do. You know, we, do. Like, we do. Yeah, we do. <laughs> uh, of the people that come with their, you know, and they're always trying to ask the nurse, like, how does the remote yes, work? Yes. And how do we get the channel changed? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm not an IT. Exactly. I'm not an engineer. We're like, like, we can figure it out together. <laughs> Yeah, but it doesn't make, now, now, and um, when we were working in Seattle, I had a patient, he came, he didn't even, he already knew, like, <laughs> that nurses do not know how to work remote, so he came with his own TV, and oh, that made me wow. feel a little bit better about my husband, uh-huh. yeah, but I think probably for the next baby, I think my husband will come with his own TV, he had some issues. <laughs> with the whole fire stick thing but anyway so he was exhausted he came at 11 and everyone had been asking him all day like did you get sleep you should be sleeping mm-hmm. like get your sleep and he's like i don't understand why people are so concerned about my sleep i'm like because it gets real and then you don't have don't sleep. sleep exactly yeah and so then he was like he come back and I was in pain, so I think he was trying to stay awake, but he was really tired, mm-hmm. and so he was started playing his Xbox, <laughs> and I was just like, this is not the time <laughs> to start to play the Xbox, like, this is, of all the time, <gasps> this right oh. now is not the time. <laughs> that is hilarious, yeah. oh my god. Oh, it kills me. It just is so embarrassing. But anyway, he's like, okay. So then that's when my nurse was like, you know, had the talk with me. Like, 
it's okay to get your epidural. So mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I'm going to get the epidural. I got my epidural, and that's another thing that I had wanted is I wanted um, combined spinal epidural because I wanted to be out of pain immediately. Yeah. But my anesthesiologist was like, well, I normally don't do those. So, mm. you know, I was like, you know what? I'm not in a terrible amount of pain. Right. I'll be fine. Right. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't need it gone immediately, but I just wanted the luxury, you know, yeah. maybe it was, <laughs> I don't know. I just see how they work and they work so well. At mm-hmm. first. Like the, the, the patient's like out of pain before you, you before know, you even lay, lay them, them down. down. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he didn't. But anyway, I'm grateful because he did a phenomenal epidural for me. <laughs> And as we're, as I think I'm getting ready to like lay down and getting repositioned and comfortable, Jerome sits on the couch and he falls, like, you know, he was tired. He fell asleep sitting up. Like, by the time the anesthesiologist like left the room. Oh, poor thing. I know. I feel bad for yelling at him about the Xbox. Anyway. So then uh, I would say over the night they were trying to just get my contractions more regular. Mm-hmm. I was on the uh, wireless Novi monitor. Oh, nice. Have you yeah. use those? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. I feel like it's a hit or miss. It is. For me, typically Everywhere. it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Typically it doesn't work for me, but um, on, on me. It was actually working really well, so okay. I was like, as long as, as long as, um, you know, we can keep the no beyond right. going good. As long as it's working, I'll keep right. it on because it allowed me mobility. Yeah, and to move in. Um, that first night with the Cervidil, I had the regular monitor on, mm-hmm. and I think, which I understand with patients, I think I'm just so self conscious about. Like, my body image and my weight and, mm-hmm. like, inconveniencing nurses. And I didn't want to inconvenience anyone. And anyway, I didn't even really get the best sleep anyway right. because mm-hmm. I was – I could hear when the baby's heart rate would drop. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I got to adjust it. Like, I was just trying to <sighs> – I was just trying to be – Be your nurse instead like, of being the patient. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> So the Novi was really nice because I could, that it was working and that I had the mobility, which is like another, I think, testament to like what makes a good labor experience is being able to like move. And yeah. it's not even just like move, like get out of bed, but just, just even turning a position yeah. without inconveniencing someone. Because it may, I feel like patients either stay in a position for too long that they're uncomfortable in because they don't want to inconvenience us yep. to come into their room. Yep. And I'm like, no, just move. Like, if you're uncomfortable, just move. And if I have but to move I the monitor, as, I'll move it. Like, yeah. no biggie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think as a new nurse, I was, like, a little bit, uh, I wasn't, like, it's just, it's hard when you're in the room all night adjusting the monitor mm-hmm. and the patient doesn't really get that much sleep. Yeah. But, um, having the wireless monitors, I loved those monitors that we had in Seattle and in California. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're amazing. They really are. Yeah. Yeah, those ones are the best. Um, and then, but the Novi worked for myself. It's always worth a try, I think. For you sure. you never know when it's going to work exactly. and not going to work. Right. Yeah, but um, 
so then they were titrating the Pitocin, and I guess the thing with the Novi is there's a little bit of a lag, so sometimes it's hard to tell what the baby's heart rate is doing. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. If you're like, is it adding length? Is it it the Novi? Is Mm -hmm. it tracing right? Is it actually just tracing, like, some irritability? Like, what are their contractions? So I think my nurse was, like, a little bit more conservative because we didn't know what my baby's heart rate was doing at the time. Yeah. Um, at some points, like some points it kind of looked like there was late and which I guess with anesthesia, you know, I also went from having like a very like high baseline of blood pressures to now having anesthesia, which brings blood pressures down. down. Like, you mm-hmm. know, there is that concern of like, well, maybe the baby is like reacting to the change of environment mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, so they were a little bit conservative. So then when my midwife came on the next morning, which now we're on, I went on on Tuesday night, we're Mm -hmm. on Thursday day. Okay. Um, my midwife, um, she wanted to put an internal IUPC in. Mm -hmm. To track your contraction strength. Yeah, Mm -hmm. to track my contractions better. But then I knew that, okay, now I can't have the Novi on. Right. Because you can't use one and then use another. So then, and I didn't want, I didn't necessarily, like, I was really disappointed. I really didn't want internals because I knew that increased my risk of infection. Mm -hmm. And, um, increased my risk of infection. And because, like, my water had already been broken for right, so long right like I was just I I really didn't want internals but then it kind of made sense because it's like okay well if we do have to go for a c-section or we, yeah. like if anyone's looking we can prove like okay I wasn't adequate labor right exactly I wasn't having strong adequate enough contractions, contractions. right so, like right. it, it kind of like it kind of benefits you to be like to keep pursuing a vaginal birth right. if you can prove like well we haven't had adequate contractions yet type of thing and if of course the baby would tolerate what we were trying to do right, right. so mm-hmm. anyway I kind of was like okay I guess we'll do internals but um and initially she didn't she wasn't going to do an FSE she just wanted an IEPC but because of that first night how I knew it was with the heart rate yeah and me just wanting to like be as free as I could I asked her to do an FSE that mm-hmm. way it's just I didn't there. have to worry right. about the externals right. yeah which mm-hmm. I think is good and I think like once again going back to when I was a new nurse is I really thought like with internals you couldn't move them move mm-hmm. patients as much mm-hmm. but um like I don't know. Now that I have experience, like you can absolutely do different positions with patients. And um, I had even had um, a patient who had wanted to have like an unmedicated birth. Mm -hmm. But it was really hard Mm -hmm. to it was really hard to trace the baby. And because she was up moving on the birthing ball, Mm -hmm. all these things. And um, I just feel like my, the provider that I was working with would have maybe been inclined to 
give her a C-section. And so I had talked to my patient. I was like, hey, maybe we should do internals. And that was the first time, actually, my charge nurse had recommended it. Like, uh-huh. hey, you should see if she'd be open to doing internal monitoring. Yeah. That way we can tell what's going on. Right. And um, the provider agreed to it. The patient agreed to it. And she was able to, you know, still have an unmedicated delivery. Right. But That's we good. had she had internals in, but she could still, like, get up and move around, exactly. which was great. That's good. Yeah. That's so really I think good. That's actually a good alternative for people who maybe want to be more active um I don't know but like yes it increases your risk of infection but like you can move more so hopefully you'll be able to deliver your baby how you want to versus mm-hmm. having a seat like you'll be able to do more make more progress instead of having to like sit in bed and you know, like maybe you'll be able to do stuff to get your baby in a better position. Exactly. To yeah. Faster. Yep. Um, before you get an infection from, mm-hmm. you know, the internals. And yeah, you're just, I don't know, you'll make more progress that way. So mm-hmm. before that, before I went traveling, I was kind of against internals and I would kind of, I don't know, just be like, ah, oh, you know, but <laughs> there's benefits to it. Yeah, for there's sure. Benefits for sure. It. I yeah. agree completely agree so then that whole day thursday i was like turning myself every hour and it's just because like i have the knowledge i think of like what would be the best position but i guess my advice to patients would be like how do you lay in bed you know like i lay with my leg up i'm supported by pillows Mm -hmm. like you don't just lay on your side right like you know I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't sleep like a zombie. I'm probably <laughs> like a crazy sleeper, but like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not in just one position every all night. Like I, I would just, I just moved to feel like what I felt like would feel good. So exactly. I had my leg up mm-hmm. in like a runner's position a lot. I use the peanut ball and I think in terms of like what you can control as a patient is advocating for your movement yep and even Mm -hmm. searching like i i don't know if i don't know if it's something that has to be paid for but like that bundle birth nurses um card the little uh Mm -hmm. thing that they had in washington um is so like so informational like even yeah. if, like, people can just Google it and just see, like, okay, mm-hmm. like, just even having the basic knowledge of how dilated you are and where your baby is in the pelvis, yeah. you can look on there and just be like, okay, well, to get my baby engaged or to get my baby yeah. to come down or, you know, just to know how you should move. But I feel like even yeah. as as um, labor nurses, most labor nurses don't even think about moving people in the in the way that they're moving the baby to fit into the pelvis. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. you don't even think Correct. of it like that. But I feel like it's super helpful if you have a patient who has done just even the smallest amount of research and be like, you know, maybe I could try this position because I was doing this. And maybe yeah. this isn't yeah. conducive to whatever position the baby in. Maybe we should try this. And sometimes a nurse right. might be like, you know what? That's a good idea. Let's try that. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah, exactly. And I think, yeah, if you just move to, like, what 
feels good. I think a lot of people are, like, nervous to, like, lay on their belly. Mm-hmm. But, like, try to get, you know, really sidelining. Like, mm-hmm. it feels like you're going to be laying on your belly, but, like, do it, you know? It's, mm-hmm. It helps to get baby in a better position. Um, mm-hmm. You do, I think, have to pay for that bundle birth. Um, okay nurses but um spinning babies has a lot of resources on their instagram Mm -hmm. and on their website so i've looked up pictures from that um so yeah you could um but yeah, Look at the them too. Yeah, nurses. It's and they're great, both great. Yeah, you do have to they're both great resources, mm-hmm. yeah. and honestly, I feel like with most things, you can always like YouTube and I guess nowadays TikTok stuff, yeah. and you'll yeah. find you'll find what you need to find. I'm more than sure. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that I think is the best thing that you can do as the patient mm-hmm. for advocating for yourself is like just advocate for movement like right. in and the other thing that my nurse said that was great about getting the epidural because I think a lot of patients are nervous about the epidural that it'll kind of lead to c-section as my nurse was, did say she's like um I don't care about early epidurals like I'm still gonna move you mm-hmm. to get you into different positions right and I that was kind of reassuring to me so I try to reiterate that with my yeah, patients too. like we're still gonna move in in ways to get your baby in a good position mm-hmm. for you to deliver and you can still move when you're pushing to yep. in different positions because yep. I think a lot of patients are nervous to only be on their back when they're pushing Mm -hmm. um and it's like no there's other options um I think too as a newer nurse I was nervous about getting my patients in a position or it was a little bit more difficult if they had a really dense epidural right but I'm realizing now that even if they have a dense epidural like you can still do a lot you can still do a lot even if it's just Mm sideline pushing you can do that yeah um, yeah, and if you can, if you have the staff or tech to have you help help move the patient right. in a position that's better. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think as a new newer nurse, I didn't like realize that, mm-hmm. and we ju- I just didn't know. Also, patients with um, that are a little bit larger, like sometimes I feel like they don't have as much room to move. Mm-hmm. But even like if you can utilize, you know, off the bed stuff, right. like having their leg mm-hmm. hang over the bed, yeah, or even utilizing like hands and knees or breaking down the bed mm-hmm. and supporting their knees, yep. you know, a yep. whole bunch of different things that yep. me as a new nurse didn't, I didn't do, yeah, um, with those type of patients. But I'm like, nope, you can still even put the peanut butter in a position and move their legs just a little bit or I learned this at a hospital that I worked at where they would do kind of like a modified wheelchairs where they would put um like a rolled up towel under yeah. their back yeah so it lifted up their hips a little mm-hmm. bit and like I never knew about that and so that's like an option for patients that have a dense epidural or who don't have um a lot of room in those beds to move right yeah for sure. There's always yeah, so, options. I don't I never want mm-hmm. people to sit up here and say, I don't know what else to do. There's always something yeah. else you can do. There's yeah. always a yeah, different movement is. you can make, for sure. 
for sure. And I try to um, kind of do all my cares together. Like, okay, if I'm going to put a Foley in or here we straight catheter patients um, every three hours and then do a Foley like after three times or something. Okay. Um, I try to like do like, um, try to line it up. Like if I'm going to increase the Pitocin, then I'll move them. Like mm-hmm. I don't, you know. Like about every hour to hour and a half, but if they're like if they're intensely sleeping, the longest I'll go is like two hours. Yeah, if I'm not already in there before, but um, for the most part, I try to move my patients, and I was trying to move myself every yeah. hour. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I will. So then, I had my internal then. This is Thursday day. I was moving every hour. Mm-hmm. And then, um, um, I did every, every single position, hands and knees, <laughs> side lying, like peanut ball, no peanut ball, flying cowgirl, which is like now my favorite position to Same. use for my patients. Same. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It makes people laugh. Too. It does. I did have a patient tell me like, "Oh, I feel like I'm riding a bull," and I'm like, "That's why it's called the flying cowgirl." You know? <laughs> and I'm like, "Does it?" And I try to tell my patients like, "Does it feel like you're like sticking out your belly?" And they're mm-hmm. like, "Yeah." I'm like, "Okay, that's what you're I want it right. to feel like." Yeah. Yeah. Um, another trick, which I don't know, maybe I was just trying everything that I could. <laughs> I've since used it in like four or five patients is I was on hands and knees, which you don't have to be on hands and knees, but I was in a position and I had my husband um, rub my heel because my grandmother, um, she had read one time, I think it's the Apache Native American tribe. Mm -hmm. They used to do this heel rub. And you start from the heel and you just rub outwards and you can feel that tissue like break up in someone's heel Mm -hmm. and that's connected to the cervix. Oh, it's like acupressure stuff, basically. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you can feel that, you can feel that heel tissue break up. So Hmm. in my mind, I'm just visualizing that that's the cervix. And I have, so I, when Jaron was doing that to me, mm-hmm. I felt Drew come down. Oh, and wow. It was the only time on the monitor that Drew had a variable. Huh. Yeah. Wow. And I felt him like literally come down into my pelvis. And then, um, and, um, I think, um, previous to that, the last time I had been checked, I don't, I don't remember where it was, but I was like five centimeters or mm-hmm, something. Mm-hmm. So I had felt him come down and then, um, and so I've had this happen with a lot of patients that are like stalled and I'm like, okay, I don't know if it's just like, if it's true, I don't know if it works. I don't know if it's like a wives tale or, <laughs> you know, a native American, like, you know. Like, they're just their Native American catch or whatever. But I've rubbed their heel, and you can feel it break up, and they dilated and hmm. have vaginal deliveries. Hmm. So, I'm going to need to learn that I one. I need to learn it. Yeah. That's yeah. A good one. Yeah. That's it's a really super one. easy. But, yeah. And you just get like a little bit of lotion or oil or uh-huh. something, 
and really just press onto the heel. But I, that's my little like tip. <laughs> I felt, I felt it happen for me and my baby. So, and since then I've done it like a handful of times with my baby. That's really cool. Um, yeah. And so then, um, when my midwife, so then that night too, I was still kind of, because I'm like five centimeters, you know, my IUPC wasn't tracking adequate contractions Mm -hmm. and we had flushed it and everything. And I just, but I could feel them. I could feel like some contractions and I felt like my belly was getting hard, but the monitor wasn't reflecting that. Right. So that's kind of a little bit where I had a little bit of discouragement, like doubt in my mind is because I was like, Right. If I'm not having adequate contractions, like I'm probably not making any change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what? What do I need to think about next? And so, I had used this method once in Seattle where they did the um, what's the beta blocker? Oh, the um, not the, not the beta. Blocker. Um. I know exactly what you're talking about, too. Gosh, <laughs> is why that, does it lose? I is, is it, lose my mind every time I talk about it. Um, and it's it resets the it resets the contractions. Um, yeah, like the if you're in like a girl, let me Google stall. it because that's about to drive me I crazy. Because I'm I'm I can see it in my head. <laughs> I can't think. I know. And then when it, and then when you and I went to Seattle together, they had an actual like protocol about uh-huh. it. Uh, reset. Propranolol. Propranolol, yes. 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 Yeah. So I was googling propranolol, and I couldn't find. I could find one trial on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd asked my nurse that night. I'm like. Can you look if it's on up to date or anything? She couldn't find anything. Yeah. And because I knew that this hospital had never heard of it. Like I'd only heard of it. I'd only used it once when I was traveling and it worked for that patient. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's on the N N C B I. N C B I. Okay. Propranol. Yeah. And but it does work. Studies. It definitely works. Mm-hmm. That yeah. and uh Yes. They Tums they say work too because Tums are like calcium and I think it just resets the muscles and all this other stuff. Um, yeah, I had asked for Tums. We had done a pit break too. Oh, I mm-hmm. forgot to say before then, before that, before all this had happened, before the night of Thursday, mm-hmm. like at shift change, I asked for a pit break because I was already at twenty of pit mm-hmm. and to do. Um, Tums and then we restarted it okay and so then i you know had Jerron rub my heel and all that and then my contractions still weren't effective so then i asked i'm like can you please look into the propranolol mm-hmm. um but i so my midwife had come and she was like well let me check you she had read the study mm-hmm. so let me check you and i was like eight or nine centimeters oh well so. look at that yeah. <laughs> to for a um 
for a certain provider, you know, to be on call for me if I had needed a C-section. So I was kind of like mentally preparing for that too, Mm -hmm. just because it had been so much time. And yeah, I don't know. But you just have to be open. I think as a patient, like, you just have to be open. Yeah, but obviously because I have this background, I knew a little bit more yeah. options. Yeah, for yeah. sure. For sure. Um, so then I guess this is the part that I didn't really expect to happen is um when um it was time to start pushing, I start I was pushing for a long time. Mm-hmm. And that was what was kind of hard, too, is because I'm like, dang, we've made all this progress, and I'm pushing for so long, like, mm-hmm. I really don't want to do a C-section. But I do want to tell some listeners, like, positions that I pushed in, just so that they yeah. know the options. Yeah. Yeah, so I did sideline, and I did um, the tug-of-war, so I had my feet up, um, like, with the squat bar, mm-hmm. and I was pulling on a sheet, so just having that resistance. Um, but the strongest that I felt was my midwife had this birthing stool, um, which some places have, like, have you seen those blow up ones? Yes, I have. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Some places have the blow up ones, but hers was like metal. Like it's not even. Oh. (laughs) I don't even know. It's, I don't even think you can call it a stool because it's like open and you just sit on a. It's like a chair, like imagine like a chair frame, okay. but like without, without any cushions on it. Okay. So just the frame of a chair kind of, but it like has super, it's super skinny. And, and then I had the stirrups out and I was, um, y- using the like bed frame of the bed mm-hmm. and, and I had an epidural this whole time. So I'm like sitting. So imagine just like sitting on a chair without the bottom. And then I was like <laughs> using the bed frames with my arms out and like almost like pulling up like a deadlift. Like yeah. If you would could imagine like a, doing a deadlift with a bar or something. Oh, but I was, Jesus. I was kind of using those muscles and pushing down and that's where I felt the strongest. Yeah. The only thing with that is like the epidural because it works by gravity kind of fell a little bit. So yeah. I had a little bit more pain because mm-hmm. I had like a window that would pop up on my right side yeah. where like I wasn't getting coverage. Um, but I... I pushed my button and then I had like a heat pack there and mm-hmm. that really helped with oh, good. that yeah. like, pain. Um, but my midwife started to get concerned because she was just like, why, why haven't I made that much progress with this bent with pushing so strong? Mm-hmm. And it turned out my baby had come down like asynclitic, which okay. can happen even when you're moving yep. all the time yeah <laughs> they just wiggle their little yeah. head in one little spot and you're like come on yeah. bro, come on yeah yeah so anyway he was asynclitic and um sometimes providers can rotate the baby mm-hmm. so um I've seen that happen and I've also seen them kind of rotate babies and babies kind of get stunned and their heart rate stops. yeah yeah. recover mm-hmm. that well mm-hmm. but um anyway she was able to rotate him and that's really what changed the game for my pushing beautiful 
so that was kind of a blessing as well. Like, I just felt like I kept hitting these like road bumps, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. that we just, but we just kept overcoming them. So that was great. And you did it. And sometimes baby is too low or too engaged to rotate. Yeah. Too. Yeah. True. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, so then that changed the game. And then I, yeah, I delivered. And I, oh, when they said like it's really happening, like <laughs> there's a difference in in what's happening. I was like, at that point, I was like, you're you're lying. Like, no way. Is that is there a difference? Because I just couldn't believe it. Like yeah. I'm really gonna have him vaginally. It had been like four and, days. Like you were probably discouraged mm-hmm. as hell. Super. And I think. Well, I think I actually don't think I was as discouraged as like I. I don't. I don't because I just kept knowing like there's a possibility. Like I'm making change, or I haven't had an infection. But yeah, towards the end, I I think I was like, if he does not come this way, mm-hmm. like I think my soul would have been broken. Yeah, for a little bit. yeah, because you've done but, all the things. Yeah. yeah, everyone was so surprised too. Like you're still in labor, you know. <laughs> like people just like didn't believe that I haven't had my baby yet, yeah. or that or that the doctors would be so patient mm-hmm. with me, and midwife would be so patient with me. Um, because I think what you said, at least I've heard from a lot of people, like my aunt, she was like, oh no, if you were having your baby in Utah, like that wouldn't, you wouldn't have had a vaginal delivery, you know, or similar to what you said, if you were having your baby in the South, you know, but I think it's just a change of culture that needs to happen. Oh, 100%. the patient advocating for themselves, like okay, but are we making progress? And, like, what does progress look like, you know? Because that can be different to each patient. Like, I don't know. I think that's the thing that you just need to discuss with the provider. Like, exactly. am I making progress? Yeah. And the provider will either say, like, yes, you are, but the baby isn't liking the progress right. or not recovering as well. Mm-hmm. Like, looking at that or, like, no, you're not making progress, mm-hmm. but we haven't done everything yep. we can. Yep. So let's try to do everything we can. And that's the main so thing. That's the main thing. Is there something yeah. else we can do? Is there something else yeah. we can do? Because nine times out of ten, there is. There is. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I'm so sure. happy you got your vaginal delivery. <laughs> I know. I was so happy too. That that did feel like an accomplishment. And I don't want to like um, negate anyone. No, of course not. Of course not. But like, I, I seriously, I think bringing a baby into the world, it just feels like you could do anything. Mm -hmm. Like that's like, you're so strong. You're superwoman. Like it felt like, I don't know. It just literally like, I never felt that happy before. Yeah. And I was so unhappy during my pregnancy. Yeah. That that was like, that was your that win. That was so crazy. That was yeah. your win. And so, yeah. <laughs> um, another bump in the road, which I don't want to scare anyone either, but it's just like um, we didn't know what we were having a boy or girl. So when Jerron announced that it was a boy, he he actually immediately had to go. He what? Warmer. He actually immediately had to go to the warmer. Oh, okay. Yeah, for resuscitation, mm-hmm. which that was, you know, scary, mm-hmm. but it all worked out good. 
Um, yeah, I think that's about it. The only other thing I think that I didn't know as a labor and delivery nurse is um, when you do use internals that sometimes they can get a calcium buildup on their head. Oh, I didn't know that Did either. Mm-mm, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, so Drew, he had this, like, little bump on his head, Aww. and I thought it was, like, it was also along the suture line, so it, like, oh. worried me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the, like, no one was really concerned. They were like, oh, yeah, did he have an FSE? And I was like, yeah, they said it was a calcium buildup, mm-hmm. I guess, from it healing, and then they said that was normal, okay. and it would go away. Okay. So. Yeah, I didn't know it that. It went away. But on TikTok, I did see, like, someone said that uh, their baby has, like, a bald oh. spot oh. from that right there. But I don't know. Oh, God. I would still choose the FSE and being able to move and yeah. be as active as I was mm-hmm. over, like, that. So. Yeah. I get that. All right, y'all. So we decided we're going to make this a two-parter. I think because we're so passionate about labor and delivery. And I think about being a labor nurse and me being who I am. We did chat for a while about the whole labor process, which I think was so valuable. But I really wanted to discuss um, her postpartum journey and how her postpartum um journey on the west coast differs from what we typically see in the south so we will catch a part two with a bet the next time so stay tuned thanks for listening as always make sure you follow me on instagram at underscore phases of the womb or if you need to contact me to send me an email that's phases of womb at gmail.com see y'all next time bye Thank you.